All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We are live. It's time for Heartland Heritage, and we're here today with Bill Edelman. Um, Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Clayton. How are you? I'm doing doing well as well. Um, we are here. It is a it is a snowy day, and um, certainly it, it it's it's one of one of those uh, opportunities now as we we are getting together virtually to appreciate the the importance of uh, virtual connections whenever well here in town roads are pretty well cleared off but it, you know it, it is one of those things where it, certainly if the the snow sticks around wherever people are out there an opportunity to uh, connect virtually um, and we're here to discuss document collections bill can you tell us more about what comes first to mind on that and i'm actually going to talk about um the situation that we're getting into, people my age and older maybe have a lot of family heirlooms and uh, family documents. And what we're finding is it used to be you found a, one of your children or a relative that was interested and you would give them the materials to pass on and keep in the family. But what we're finding is uh, now is a lot of uh, people are, are not finding that relative that's interested. Um, younger people don't seem to want to have the old stuff. And I don't blame them because it builds up over the generations. So what I'm gonna talk about is if you don't have that relative and you want to see your materials, whether it's objects or manuscripts, photographs preserved, how to donate those to some repository. Uh, so, the first thing I do is, it's actually a great day for the first thing I'm gonna talk about, which is take those materials and if it's an object like say a, a, a plate or china or something like that, write a little something about it and leave with those materials. So where to come from, what is it? If they're photographs, get a pencil and write on the back of them because an unidentified photograph is has another name, it's called trash. Uh, if people don't know who's in them, they throw them away. So that's it's it's a good day to do that. Other than going out and playing in the snow. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, as as we look at it all, as we look at what um, may fit into you know a historical archive into a museum, how do people make those considerations as to what what what? the museum or archive might be interested in? Uh, well, one way to do that is to take in a list or take in the materials to the archive and see if they're interested. <clears throat> when people donate, uh, there's a lot of things you got to consider if, if you're picking a place to donate. One is, do you want it to stay in the geographical area? Um, if, if you want it to stay in the geographical area, that restricts you down to repositories in that area. Uh, so a lot of people, that's their consideration, their main consideration, leave it in the area. But if your main consideration is, uh, I would like this material to be available for people to do research and learn something, that widens your horizons as to where you can donate. And you want it available for research. Uh, some people like to donate objects so they can be displayed in museums, in which case that restricts you down to 
repositories that accept such things. Uh, some just want it conserved. And most good repositories will, will have a, a handle on how to conserve a variety of materials. Keep in mind one thing when you're donating, you're donating to the repository. You're not donating to individuals at the repository because those individuals may not be at the repository forever. And certainly if it's a long-term, if it's a repository that's been around a while, there's gonna be a succession of individuals at that repository. A few cautions when you're donating your materials. Uh, first of all, I would ask the question if I were donating, if this repository for whatever reason fails, if it is no longer going to exist because of financial restrictions or uh, losing the space that they're in and so they don't have an alternative, do they have a plan for what happens to the materials they have? That's a question you would want to ask right up front because if they don't have a plan, it might be that you want to consider another repository. Also look at the staff qualifications. Do they have professionals would be the top of the line. Do they have uh, people who aren't maybe professionals but are trained in conservation of the materials would be the next best thing. If it's purely volunteers who maybe have no training, you may want to reconsider donating there unless it's you have that geographic restriction. <clears throat> also, many uh, higher quality uh, repositories create finding aids, which a lot of times will go on a website, which will allow researchers to find those materials. A, a good finding aid may have a list of names, if it's uh, documents or photographs. Uh, it'll certainly have a list of what's in the collection. and. If they're really highly valuable and, and the repository has a big enough budget, they, they may scan some of the materials and make them available. A lot of people get mistaken impression about scanning as well. Uh, they tend to think it's easier than it is. Well, if I'm gonna go down over to my, my computer and scan something to PDF, that is pretty easy. But when you scan something for a museum or repository, it's a higher quality product than that and it takes a lot of effort and it takes really good equipment so you have to consider that i'd also consider storage does the repository have a good storage facility uh, is it just some subject to ambient temperatures hot in the summer cold in the winter or is there some control uh, generally low humidity and cooler temperatures are better. Heat is bad, high humidity is bad, especially if we're talking about paper. And then finally, um, one other thing you gotta consider is, does the repository, uh, is there, are they a participant in Archive Grid, which is a nationwide consortium of archival organizations that make their finding aids available so that you can search no matter where you are in the country and find out where materials are. For example, I'm doing some work on Cape Girard during the Civil War right now, and I can get on Archive Grid and search for Cape Girard Civil War, and I get literally almost a thousand 
hits. There are letters all over the country written by soldiers, all sorts of other materials on Cape Girardeau during the Civil War. If they're in a smaller repository that isn't an archive grid, I have really poor ability to find those. So if you want your materials to be findable, make sure the archive or repository is an archive grid. <clears throat> Lastly, there will be a process you'll go through to donate if you're going to donate your objects to a museum or your manuscripts, uh, papers, and so forth. First of all, you'd probably want to meet with the staff and learn about the staff and the repository. You may want to take along a rough list of items. Some people just walk in the door, I know at our facility, with the items and they intend to leave them there. They're not going to take them home. But if you if you really care about the items, you, you might do this preliminary step. Ask questions of the staff. You will be asked if you decide to donate to fill out something called a deed of gift, which transfers whatever you specify to be transferred to the archive. Usually that's copyright. And there may be different levels of rights that you transfer that you can check on the deed of gift. Uh, the reason for those is that so that uh, your, your heirs don't come back later and say, well, oh, uh, Aunt Polly really didn't care. She really didn't want to donate those. She just thought she was loaning them. And so if there's not a deed of gift, they could take the stuff back and your wishes, you're gone. Your wishes won't, won't be uh, considered. And then uh, <clears throat> finally, there may be materials the, the repository don't want to take, in which case uh, they need instructions on what to do with that. You may say, well, just throw it away if you don't want it. Or you may say, give it back to me or... Uh, give it to a library or a local library or whatever, but uh, that's up to you and that's part of the deed of gift. Sure. Yeah, um, I, I suppose, out of curiosity, is there a an easy systematic way of thinking about the criteria of, of what the archive may be accepting before you donate? Is there is there a rule of thumb, I suppose, as far as that goes? Um, there's no set rule of thumb. You'll, you'll just have to call the archive or the museum and, and ask questions. Absolutely. And, and that most, most of the professionals in those repositories really want to take good material and they really want to make it available to people, whether it's in a display or whether it's uh, uh, available for research. Certainly. And I suppose also to just drive home that point of why, why it would be important for somebody, even if they aren't able or not particularly interested in carrying on these materials, that, you know, having these available for others, researchers, um, whether they're family research uh, oriented or, or general area history research oriented, um, that these are these are things that are important to consider as far as like your community, your broader family that you may not know, things like that when it comes to <clears throat> donating these materials, right? Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of times what we have to get people over is, well, why would you want my stuff? I was just a regular person. I just worked at a regular job. Yeah. Well, that's important, too. That's part of history. Uh, history is not just the big wigs and what they did. It's what 
regular people did. So uh, I know one of the big things uh, right now, we're seeing the World War II generation die off, are letters. And they, you may think, well, this is just a mundane letter, but every letter I've seen from that era gives some insight into what people were thinking, what was going on during the war. And uh, it's just one little piece in the larger pageant of history. For sure, for sure. All right, all of that in mind, when people are first setting out, you know, I, we, we, as we talked about, it's, it's a matter of, you know, setting, setting everything in order, collecting everything, um, getting it all together. Um, do you have any recommendations as far as whether or not, um, you know, what, what I suppose kind of maybe the family network looks like in terms of connecting with other people, um, getting in touch about finding as much information about what you're able to donate as possible. Is, is, is that an important part, is getting that information together so that the archive centers <coughs> know well knows what they're well, after? I, I know on, on my father's family, I ended up with a lot of the photos because I was the most interested. But I know some of my cousins were were interested, just not as deeply as I was. And I actually donated the photographs and a lot of the letters to uh, the State Historical Society. But before I did that, I spoke, spoke with some of my cousins and said, hey, are you okay with this? And most of them said, that's great because it'll be available if somebody wants to look at it, if we want to look at it, or if a researcher wants to look at it. So uh, uh, it's it's good to make sure it's okay with people that might have a bit of an interest in it as well. For sure. And I, I know with the photographs, I've been scanning those and uploading them to the cloud before they go into the collection. And uh, my son has access to the cloud account so he has access to the photographs, but uh, yeah, yeah. How much information? The physical photographs are in a repository. Sure. How much information should somebody have about what they are donating in in terms of uh, helping the archive center out? You know what I mean. In, in terms of um, if it's ambiguous, is that something that you know where they're not interested in taking? You know things along those lines. Um, well. A really good archivist can look at something and within a minute or two will be able to tell whether it's valuable or not. Um, but some of the things that the average person thinks are junk is actually they're pretty valuable and and vice versa. Some things that some people think, oh, this is valuable, really aren't. I'll give you an example. Uh, family Bibles. The actual information that might be written in the family record section of the family Bible, it's either in the front or the back usually, is valuable because it has family information. The actual Bible itself, most people think is really valuable because it's old, but most of them aren't because they were sold by the millions by door-to-door -door salesmen. And so that particular Bible still exists in the hundreds of thousands probably. So, uh, but yeah. an archivist could tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating stuff. But um, to to think about how you know that that medium has has such a lot of information in it in terms of, but it's also mass produced. And so, um, absolutely, right. Great stuff to great stuff to think about. Um, anything else before we wrap up today? 
No, I just I can't emphasize enough. If if you have spare time or if you're stuck inside today, pull those old family photos out and write on them. Uh, it's it's kind of occurred to me in in the last few years that a lot of the photos I had, I was the only person that probably knew who was in those photos because I'd sat down with my uh, grandmother and my aunt and my parents, and they had told me who was in the photographs but hadn't written on them. So, uh, and you can also cross-identify. If you identify one photo of somebody, you can pick them out in other photos. And so that's why I figure I ought to get that all written on those photos because it, it may end with me. Yeah, yeah. I always, you know, always a good thing to contribute as much as possible and to, uh, you know, as far as the folks out there who are probably watching this that are probably, you know, this resonates with them, always good to think about how much uh, we can contribute to the overall family story and putting that together. And so always, always a priority here on Heartland Heritage. And Bill, we are glad to have you here to help us um, take a look at how to do that. Thank you so much. And if anybody does want advice on donating your materials, uh, even if it's not to the State Historical Society, uh, we're always there to uh, answer your questions. Uh, our number is 651-2689. All right, great stuff. Thank you to our audience as well. We appreciate you all tuning in here today, Heartland Heritage. Thanks again. We appreciate, appreciate the time you spend here. We'll be back later today. Stick around. Local News Live coming up right after this.